0: I L E. I'm assuming that's how you say it, Kyle. Kile. I guess it kind of depends on the pronunciation of of those letters in your language. But Kile. I kind of like Kile. Kyle Kile is a LaTeX editor. And you may have heard me in previous episodes. You may not have, but you may have heard me in previous episodes say that I didn't know LaTeX, and that is still true. I don't know LaTeX, but I can safely say that I know more LaTeX now than I did before. Before, I basically knew nothing. I didn't understand the, f- the the layout, the format of latex, I didn't even know where to begin. Now, a couple of, maybe a year ago now, I'm say a couple months, but it's, it's probably a year ago now, someone on Mastodon w- was editing a book. Uh, it was a game book, like a r- r- rule set for like a tabletop role-playing game. And he did a general call for people to proofread it. So I, it was a Creative Commons work. So I volunteered, and he he mentioned that it was written in latex, and I thought it's probably not going to be that big of a deal, I can probably muddle my way through. And sure enough, my filter for markup worked perfectly well, and I don't, I didn't feel, after reading that, like I knew any more about latex than I did before. And it's just weird, because I read almost a hundred pages of latex markup that I read through, and I just, because I had my Word editor hat on, and not my markup editor hat, I, I just, I completely, I, I have no memory, technically. Or, you know, no no vivid memory of it being in Latex. So anyway, now that I've I have sat down and, and used Kyle a little bit here and there, I, I do feel like I know more about Latex. I don't have a good picture of the whole, the entire workflow still. At least not in the way that I have, uh, for instance, of, of DocBook or, or ASCII Doc or something like that. But I can do a couple of things with Latex now, and I, and I certainly have come away from the experience feeling a lot better about Latex. I feel like latex had sort of a reputation for a while. or I don't mean it, but like, for a while in my life, I remember thinking, oh, latex, that, that's that's that over-complex, ugly markup language that, that, that nobody uses anymore except the, you know, except the... I, I thought it was like a science thing, like a couple of people in, in scientific uh, circles used latex forced themselves to use latex because it alone had the ability to do fancy mathematical markup. And and of course that's not true, um, but that was kind of the the idea that I had. And I mean, it may well be that latex can do fancy markup for mathematical formula better than other languages, or, or easier than other languages, I, I don't know. I mean, I've talked about some other alternatives on this show uh, for, for markup for for math but latex does seem to have that reputation so there is that sort of niche audience i guess but honestly um, my experience so far limited as it though it may have been it, it, i don't i don't mind it actually it, it's not bad at all it, it's actually it makes sense You'll be pleased to know that a really basic Hello World document in Latex is really, really easy. Now, obviously, part of this, the ease of this experience is assisted by Slackware itself. Slackware has Kyle installed. It has a Latex backend available, like an engine. Uh, What is it? That it uses actually, I don't even know off the top of my head. Text Live, T E X L I V E, Text Live. That's what Slackware uh, comes shipped with. But there are other like, distributions of Tex or implementations of of LaTeX that you can get uh, as well. Uh, T T I think is one of them. And then certainly in Slackbuilds.org, if you do a search and S B O find uh, for text, Tex T E X, you'll you'll get a lot of results. Anyway. Text Live works well enough for, 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 for this anyway. And a really simple, so that's already installed. That was my point. Sorry. So the, the text backend stuff is already installed. You don't have to bother with it. And then Kyle is already installed. And so you, you, you don't really have to bother that much with it either. And, and so this, it's just, you can just fall right into text, into LaTeX. It's really, really nice. Okay. So super simple like four, what is this? Yeah, four line hello world document with live preview. Go to, open up Kyle. I think it will prompt you probably to choose a file type or maybe it just drops you into a blank document. I'm not sure. If you close that blank document and then go to file new, then it will prompt you to choose a, a, a template and you can choose whatever you want. I chose article and then it, it Gives you a, a the skeleton of an article, but that's not the simplest possible article. You can get simpler. So just delete everything in there and then do a backslash document class. Now because you're using, Kyle, essentially, you know, we could we could think of it as as an IDE almost for, for for LaTeX. It's it, it auto completes what you're typing, so document class comes up. And then there's apparently a square bracket with options in it and a curly brace with the style in it. I'm going to skip the options for now. Maybe I'll get to that later. And I'll just go straight to the braces. So I'm going to do an open brace style. No, I'm not Open brace. It doesn't prompt me for that. That's interesting that it doesn't have auto completion for the for the arguments. But anyway, you can type article and then close the curly brace. There are other styles. Uh, i haven't I haven't used them myself. But like DocBook, there are other styles, like, sort of like templates for, for Latex. So Article is one of them. And then we're going to do a backslash begin, the word begin, B-E-G-I-N. And then another curly brace, and we're going to type in document. Close the curly brace. And now, now you're, you're in your document. And you can just type all day long. Uh, hello world. Hello again, world. Paragraph, paragraph, or, you know, return, return. Uh, this is my paragraph, my third paragraph even, and this is, um, this is my third, uh, this is, actually I'll just do this, this is, one one sentence per line is how I like to write in general because then if you make changes, git can find, you know, a diff program can find those changes really easily and, sh- and show them to you. If you embed everything into big paragraphs without line breaks, a diff program just looks at the whole paragraph as one 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 line and, and diffs it very differently. Anyway, this is my third paragraph. Oh yeah. This is a, I think, what would it be? Probably Kate Part? Like, this is, this is the, you know, the editor that you get in Kyle will be very familiar to you. And the reason for that is because this was made with KDE Framework 5. And so, you know, big robust text editor blocks are all using the same, the same technology on on the back end. and. Ah, oh, it's just so nice, you know. I mean, like if you're used to Kate or vaguely used to K, right? And then you get used to um, no, my mind's gone blank on the what what other application uses that right now. But then you use Kyle, and suddenly it just it all feels okay. Develop, I think, is what I was thinking of. But you then you use Kyle. I mean, you're using the same editor, but highly tuned and and embedded within you know for to, towards something some some other purpose. So it's it's really, really nice. And then once you're finished writing your, your markup, or your text, uh, then you close your document with a backslash, end, E-N-D, curly brace, document, close curly brace, and that's it. Now you could, I guess you could save it, I guess I'll save it. And then you go to build, if you want, and uh, I'll do a quick build. Now, if if you go to build and you go to live preview, you should have live preview Activated, but as I've just sort of hinted by the fact that I had to go and do a quick build, the the live preview is only a mostly live preview. I mean, it 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 does all right, but sometimes it does take a little bit of uh time to catch up with with what you're actually uh, working on. So I I very frequently have to go up to live preview or yeah live preview and then do a quick build, which apparently you can also just do an alt one. And it auto generates it. Oh, you know what? I see one of my problems. No, it still has to. Okay. I thought I thought I saw something, but no. Yeah, it's not. It's not what I thought. Okay. So anyway, the live preview is only a live preview, to a degree, but it's really nice because you do get to see the the results of your of your markup pretty quickly over in the right side of your screen. If you want to. I mean, you might not want that. But that is awfully nice. That's really that's convenient. It it, it kind of g- alleviates a little bit of doubt, you know, because if you if you're not sure what you're doing, uh, it can be it can be a little bit disconcerting to just blindly author a document in a strange markup language and then only get to see the results at the very end. Now there are lots of markup, uh, I guess macros almost within LaTeX and. There, are the there's the basic set that just comes with LaTeX, but then there's a bunch of other ones. I mean, and 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 Slackware apparently has quite a lot installed already, but there are yet more. And if you go to uh, uh, Slackbuilds.org and or you use SBO find from SBO tools, as covered in the previous episode, you can do a SBO find on text, and specifically you'll find a textlive extras package which gives you a bunch of more bunch more things to to throw into your in, into your writing. So if if you're thinking that you need I don't know something that you that, that that doesn't seem to be available within LaTeX there there's quite possibly some kind of extra plugin or macro I don't know what they call them in LaTeX world that that will give you the the, the sort of the auto you know the quick version of what you want. So for instance, I mean this is this is just basic latex as far as I know, but let's say we wanted to do a list. So it could be uh backslash begin curly brace enumerate close curly brace uh, backslash item and it could be hello and then next line backslash item world and then next line backslash end Curly brace enumerate. I'm gonna press Alt 1 to auto or to to quick build, and there we go. There's there's a nice, attractive looking list. Hello world. Hello world again. Hello one. Hello two world. This is my third paragraph. This is a Kate part editor. Clat two. So there you go. That's that's a kind of a simple. And quick list. Now if you didn't want it to be enumerated, you just wanted it to be listed, you could do that. You can do uh, backslash begin itemize instead of enumerate. Then I'll have to close itemize as well. Alt 1 to quick build, and now I've got bullet points instead of numbers. So it's just little things like that that um, that produce relatively quick results you've also got heading uh, information so for instance if you do a backslash section then you get a a nice um sort of a section title a, a big sort of h h1 i guess probably sized title in in your document you can also implement subsections so if you want to you, you want to have a section but then later on you want to continue you want to sort of drill further down into that it's it's literally backs back slash subsection and then the title of, of that subs subsection I'll just put next section in there there we go and alt 1 and now I've got one dot hello world and then a bunch of hello worlds and then 1.1 one one, next section this is a K part editor so it, it makes sense I'm not I'm I wouldn't by any means say that it was intuitive for instance why do I have to close an itemized or enumerated list or section, but not a section or a subsection? Well, I guess the answer probably is that when you're starting itemize, it's the backslash begin itemize. The word begin, that's the instruction, begin. But when you make a section, you're just making a section. But then I guess the the other question is, well, why is section an instruction and not a an argument to the backslash, begin instruction. And I don't know all of these things, you know? I mean, presumably there are different data types that it, it, that it sort of expects and understands, and, and this is tapping into that, or defining that, and that's okay. Like, so it's not necessarily, yeah, you're not gonna, you're not gonna stumble into it and just kind of, like, get the feel for it. Okay, backslash, and then whatever I want, got it. You know, that's not like that. However, the advantage of Kyle, one of the many advantages of Kyle is, it has menus including one labeled latex and if you go into latex the latex menu in kyle there's a bunch of tags there waiting for you waiting to be discovered by you so for instance there's a preamble which lists document class selection as uh, an option package import ams packages start document body author definition, and so on, and then you go down and there's tables and lists. There's all the different tables that you could create. There's an index, there's a print index, there's a glossary and a bibliography. Sectioning. There's a part, chapter, section, subsection, sub-subsection, paragraph, subparagraph. References. Environment. List environment. Tabular environment. Floating environment. Math commands and, and on and on and on. So oh, font styles. That's important. Like you know, italics and things like that. That's kind of, and and you can click on it and it inserts the the instruction for you. For for instance, in ital for italics apparently it's backslash text it and then some phrase that you you know the the argument for that is the word that you want to be in italics. So I guess I'll I'll put this is a phrase. In italics, and now I'll hit Alt One to render that, and yep, there it is. This is a phrase in italics right there under my section. So it, it you know, the, the Kyle is not maybe the most graphical application you'll ever run across. At least not as far as I can tell. Maybe there's a, a toolbar that I have hidden or something like that. Um, but it doesn't. It's not going to fool you into thinking that it's an an office suite. It doesn't have a, a a bar at the top with a bunch of buttons, like bold and italics and, you know, like LibreOffice would. But it does have that menu, and and you can read through it and find the things that you want. And then, you know, the, the interesting thing about writing, honestly, is that after a while you realize just how simple a process it really is. I mean, not if you're not a writer and, and you struggle to write, I'm saying, but in terms of the the requirements for writing there's just not that much i mean a text editor and a little bit of markup and i do mean a little bit 90 percent of your work is 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 or your your styling is done with really just the basics and and very frequently less is more and that's kind of why it persists that writing a document is still a pretty i mean it's a basic process and and yeah, there are things that you need, like tables. Sometimes you really want a table, although I, I suggest you avoid tables, honestly. I think they're horrible. Horrible inventions, terrible things to um, to have to lay out. Okay, they're not horrible inventions. They're actually very useful, but they are bad for layout and very difficult to translate across different media. So I highly recommend translating tables to lists when possible, when when, when it's practical to do so. So anyway, you don't need that much in writing. Really, it's it's surprising. You just need a couple of fonts maybe, like a serif or a not serif. You need maybe a bold or an italics to emphasize a couple of words here and there and and that's kind of it. You know, like headings, you need headings and uh, lists, those are important sometimes. I mean, I think they can be overused as well, but not all the time. Sometimes they're great. Um yeah, and and then you just you just do the thing. So there's not that much to learn is what I'm is what i'm implying like you you can actually generate a fair amount of latex and export it and get a really good result without learning that much latex speaking of exporting it and getting results and stuff at some point you do want to export this thing into some format and there's lots of different formats you can do pdf latex which generates a pdf you can do Bibtex, which I don't really know what that is. It's got something to do with Bibliography, I guess. Uh, latex, I thought I was writing in latex, don't know what that means. Latex to web. Lily pond, that's um, musical uh, markup. Lua Latex, uh, don't know what that is, but it has the word Lua in it, so it must be good. Tex, uh, and so on. PDF text. So yeah, you've got a couple of different, and this is actually this is why I say I don't really exactly know. Like, I don't feel like I understand or am comfortable at all with the exporting options of latex. And I don't think docbook would necessarily be any better for a newcomer. Uh, That's pretty mystifying as well. It just so happened that when I learned docbook, I also learned um, XSLT proc and how to chain it together through a make file with a bunch of other stuff like fop or or just exporting to something nice like HTML, or, or plain text, whatever. So, yeah, I mean, and, and that 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 I do feel is a little bit of a missing component here. It within, maybe, Kyle. Or, or maybe not. Maybe it's not missing at all. Um, but I couldn't figure out, necessarily, how to get everything sort of working correctly, so I, I selected For instance, latex to web, but it it says that it fails to start. And I don't know why that is. Is that because I need to do something myself to fix it? Or, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't tell me what... Why is that menu there if I don't have that installed? There's a view html button over here. I click it and nothing seems to be happening. So it's a little bit mystifying to me, and it's probably, you know, arguably because I don't know what I'm doing. I think that would probably be a a really good, um, reason. Probably. Uh, let's see. Oh wait, here's, um, here's the compile. Yeah, I think that's the same thing. Yeah, it just fails to start when I try to go out to HTML. So that makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable, because if the only thing I can output to is PDF, that's not really gonna work for me. But it, it certainly is, um, a lot less scary now. And Kyle, I think, would be something that if I were going to write in LaTeX regularly, I would absolutely absolutely do that with Kyle I would I would want to use Kyle I think because it it's a really nice little application it does it it's doing exactly what you'd want a text editor to do I mean it's so nice in fact frankly honestly I kind of feel like I could live with an, a similar editor for docbook like that would be kind of neat I could I could see that working for me um I mean I'm sure there must be one I just never thought to look I mean Emacs is my editor and and I'm pretty happy with it but you do kind of wonder what, yeah, if there's, maybe there's something out there for, um, you know, that would give me a, a just a quick live, quick live preview of, of DocBook output. Who knows? That, that could be interesting. I don't know if I would actually use that feature. But I don't know. Auto-completion? I mean, I'll take that anytime. So yeah, it's, it, it is nice. Kyle is really nice. If you if you write in Latex and haven't tried Kyle, try it. From what I can tell, it's kind of a little bit similar to Tech Studio. I mean from a superficial level, I mean ha- never having used Tech Studio and only barely having used Kyle, I would say they were very similar. <laughs> so take that with many grains of salt, but uh, Kyle is quite nice. I was I am very impressed with it. I think if I were if I were seriously investing in LaTeX, Kyle would be something that I would be very excited about and and I would want on all of my computers. And it, it's just a twist of fate that I found Docbook and not LaTeX, and and I'm just comfortable enough with DocBook that I'm happy to continue using it. Maybe not forever. You never know. I mean, maybe I'll. I don't know. Maybe I'll transition to LaTeX at some point. You never. You never really know what the future is going to hold. But um, not anytime soon. So I'm. I'm not going to use Kyle. In fact, I am probably going to uninstall it now. But it was great to experience. It was very nice to try it out and to finally really experience LaTeX for myself and see that it wasn't quite as scary or mystifying as people seem to say that it is. And I don't know if people say, you know, I don't know if if it's just an aversion to explicit markup that makes people say that latex is, I don't know, confusing or scary or whatever. I do think there's a little bit of that. People just don't seem to really... I don't know, I think people associate markup with, I don't know, code? I, I guess that's what it is in a way. But people, people, I think, tend to think that it's it's rudimentary and and laborious whereas i think it's it's explicit and very clear and i really really appreciate it so i don't know i'm i i really enjoyed latex i, I would i would recommend it to a friend who was maybe uh, looking for something a little bit more robust than markdown but maybe had an aversion to xml i'd i'd suggest latex absolutely without hesitation i was very impressed so that's kyle and latex for the price of one, and now it's time for coffee. I've got coffee. This time I've got uh some coffee from the bulk store that I go to in the big city, about an hour from here, and and I, I kind of stock up on it and I bring it back. Uh, I don't remember what it's called at all. It's it's some delicious blend. I think it was it's called wave or something maybe. Wave or like vibe or you know, something sort of vaguely uh blissful sounding and, and sort of nice. There there were three different ones there. And they were all new. It was all new to me. It was not the usual blends, so uh, or or uh, coffee beans. Uh, so it was kind of exciting. And I'm gonna say that I'm not really sure if I have found the correct way to make it yet. I'll, I'll put it that way. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying I I don't know that I've I don't know that I'm noticing I'm drinking anything different than what I was drinking yesterday. Which is kind of weird because usually when I change what I'm drinking, I, I notice. So I don't know. I'll give it some time. Report back next week. Uh, before I go on to the next application, let's look at some listener email. So one of them is from Dan again, and he says that uh, for what it's worth, I'm reasonably certain that Kego, not Kigo, not kaigo Kego was meant to be read as K. Ego, similar to K, -K K-A-Y, Ego, E-G-O in English, based on the Japanese name, that's Ego, I-G-O, uh, transliterated, obviously, for the game of Go. So, that's why it's called K-Ego. Mystery solved. K-Go would be fine for English speakers, but the game is from Japan, they call it Ego there, apparently, and so K-Ego makes a lot of sense. I didn't know that, I just thought Go was Go, so that was... Very useful. Thank you, Dan. Did he say anything else? Dan... Calling it, calling it Ego... Um, oh, this is... Yeah, this is interesting. Calling it Ego can distinguish that game of Go from other games using the same Go board and stones, such as Gomokunarabe, like Pinte, which I believe you discussed on an earlier episode, which I did. So, yeah, so that makes sense. It would almost be like having to differentiate between, you know, a chess board and a checkers board. I would think, or a draft sport Is drafts the same thing as checkers? I don't even know. Honestly, I have no idea. That's uh, K-Ego. I also got an email from Carl who um, says that this feedback is a bit late, but I thought, but I thought episode 462 about um, directory permissions was very helpful. I listened to it twice in the car and then again at the airport waiting for a flight following along on my laptop. I like the methodical approach. Permissions aren't really something I pay much attention to in my single-user day-to-day use, but as soon as I'm in a situation involving multiple users and shared access, all of a sudden things quickly get interesting. And I'm reminded that whatever I thought I knew is either forgotten or or, or was wrong all along. And I think that's... I think there are a lot of subtleties... This is Klaatu again. I think there are a lot of subtleties to, to permissions that we... Breeze past. We, we kind of just, we, we forget about them. Um, or, or we don't understand it in the first place, and we and just everything's co- kind of working because the U-masks are set correctly on our system, and it just kind of falls into place. But things do get tricky, especially when you get multiple users, or even worse, um, multiple users and multiple computers. Or sometimes just multiple computers. One user, but across different systems. And I remember a day, a time, Back when different Linux distributions or Unix distributions would start the system user out at different numbers, at a different number. So you had a bunch of distributions starting everyone out at like a thousand, and then a couple of others starting at starting people at like 500. And so you'd get a computer, you'd install the OS, you'd create your user. It was user ID 500 on this system, and user a thousand on that one, and and. But the names were the same, and you just wouldn't know, you couldn't figure out why the permissions are set correctly, apparently. And you know, it just, it got messy, I think. It gets messy. And so, yeah, trying to understand all that is sometimes... I mean, honestly, I think the methodical approach is the best way sometimes. Just really sit there, hack, hack on it until you really understand all the different levels. And then you don't use it and you've forgotten. For instance, I've forgotten everything that I learned in 4.62, so I'll, I'll have to listen to that episode myself. Okay, uh, and he also sends. Uh, so he sits an, an email or an article, rather. Sorry, in this email um, to a, a very interesting article about WebAssembly, which I don't know how that's going to fit into anything I ever talk about on this show. But I mean, eventually it will. Uh, it is a fat. I mean, WebAssembly. If you're if you haven't looked into Web, WebAssembly, it's really really interesting stuff. You should definitely at least look into it, find out what it's about. But anyway. Uh, there's also, he he also sends, I don't know why, he sends this article about, um, Git versus Fossil, and there's this quote from this site, it's, uh, wanderinghorse.net slash computing slash fossil. He says, why Git, this isn't Carl, this isn't Klaatu, this is the author of this blog, quote, why Git has become so widely used, I'll never quite understand. It's fussy utterly misanthropic, difficult to administer, and is liter- and it literally allows users to rewrite the history of source-controlled files, including the ability to delete older versions of a source-controlled tree. That's not only philosophically wrong, but flat out brain dead. End quote. I obviously strongly disagree with this. I will agree that Git is fussy. Maybe. I mean, will I? I? I'm not even sure if I'll agree to that. Utterly misanthropic I might agree with that because that's just well said. That's a beautiful phrase. Uh, difficult to administer. Yeah, I'll agree with that. I guess. And it literally... okay, so it doesn't literally allow users to rewrite the history of source control. I mean, it does, but not if you don't allow it. Like, the ability to do something doesn't mean that it just... it's automatically there for everyone. So that's, you know, it's true, but it's misleading to, to complain about that. Yes, it allows users to rewrite the history. Well, maybe that's what you need to do at, at some point. Like, why, I would be concerned if my, if a tool that I was using didn't allow me to do the thing that I decided I wanted to do. So I quite appreciate that. It says, including the ability to delete older versions of a source-controlled tree. Well, absolutely. Once again, it's, it's, it's a tool that is serving me as a user. Why wouldn't I be able to delete information? I, I would I would hope that I would be able to do that. It's my data. And again, the way that it's written, it makes it feel like just any old user can do that or something. And I don't know if that was the implication of this of this statement, but I mean, that is kind of how it comes across, at least reading it. I guess, technically, yes, yeah, out of context, may- maybe. But I don't know. What other context is there here? And And that's not only philosophically wrong, but flat out brain dead I, I strongly disagree with both of those statements philosophically wrong it's not philosophically wrong it's just a different philosophy of of managing your own data and b- brain dead no i don't i don't think so so i mean and i recognize that i'm strongly biased towards git i'm i'm a big fan of git it was my it it is it has been my first and pra- pra- practically my only version control system it's not strictly true i've used fossil as well but on on a quite a major project actually, um, but this is uh, th- this is a funny paragraph nevertheless. It's well it is well expressed, and I understand the frustration because Git can be frustrating. It really can be. But, and there's so much to understand about branching and forking and, and merging and, and all those other, and fast forwarding and all those things that you just never quite understand. And then when you start to understand it, or you think you start to understand it insofar as at least the commands are working in a way that you sort of expect, then something gets updated and, and things are different and, and that gets annoying. Or you start to understand it using the thing on your own. And then you're dropped into a situation where you're using it in, you know, actually with other people, and you're committing to, to a to a repository that other people are committing to, and suddenly everything's, everything's different because now where it used to be, you you could fast forward whenever you wanted. Now now it's completely different. Or you submit to a repo and someone says, oh no, you, you got to squash your commits. that's how we do it here, or, or something weird. You know, you're just like, like everything there's so much customization that that's possible and so it feel it can feel frustrating because you don't understand you you, you know you, you feel like you're starting to understand git but then someone tells you that you're doing it wrong meaning maybe that you're not doing it wrong but you're not interfacing with the repo the git repo correctly for the preference of of that particular r- repo administrator so it it can be really really tricky and frustrating because when that happens obviously it doesn't feel great it feels it feels like feels like you know like you're not like it doesn't feel fair you feels like you figured it out and then someone's insisting that no you 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 had it wrong actually and there's some other way that we do it and that that is um upsetting but i mean the same thing the same kind of thing is going to happen with other systems too to be fair um, I can't believe that subversion that that there wasn't frustration with subversion. I, I can't believe that there's not frustration with fossil every now and again. I mean, I know there is. I've used fossil, and and just just getting over the differences between git and fossil can be confusing. Understanding when you need to open fossil and what a commit really entails, and all these other things, that it, it can get it can get kind of confusing. So funny, but maybe a little bit. A little bit unfair, maybe. Either way, really well written, and um, and it is one of those things where I think it's it. I'm not going to say that it's wrong because I I do think it's just a difference in in preference, and I'm not even sure. I'm not. I'm still not sold on my preference being the way Git does it. It's just literally that's what I'm used to and that's where that's where all the that's where the mind share is and so it 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 just kind of pays right now to just keep using git and keep getting better and better at git because that's just that's that's literally what pays like it, it literally pays to know git so that's it's kind of the smart thing to do and i don't say that sort of thing about technology usually you know i mean really i i don't like to chase sort of like what's popular necessarily or you know What'll get you the job necessarily, but in some cases, especially when it's open source, it just it sort of makes sense to do exactly that. Now, all of that said, again, Fossil is a really, really nice system. Like it, and and it is it it is one of those systems that yeah, probably a lot more people should check out. Like it is really, really nice. Absolutely, um, it it has innovations wrapped up in it that you that would just shock you. I mean really it, it it's like every fossil instance is its own github or gitlab or you know choose your host Git or or whatever like it's got a wiki it's got a built-in wiki it's got like a website it's got a, a web view and and it's a, and it's the repository the source the version re, uh, control repository it's 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 amazing you you should absolutely check out fossil if you haven't I've done episodes on it in the past I I think uh, And heck, you know, I'm talking myself into using it again myself, actually, because I, I haven't haven't used it recently, and now I feel like I'm I'm cheating myself. So I don't know. Job done. Apparently, Bl- blog post. You you have made me and Carl. You've made me uh, think about fossil again, and think seriously that I need to, I need to put something into fossil because it is, it is absolutely worth worth keeping on the side at least. You know, like have a fossil, have have a repo in fossil because it's just it is. It is really, really nice. I mean, it's done by the guy who did SQ Lite 3, Dr. Richard Hip. Like, there's- there's- the, almost there's no greater recommendation for using it. I mean, the, the guy is really, really clever. And- and Fossil definitely shows how clever he is. Okay, let's talk about Killbots, I guess. Killbots is, as you can imagine, a video game. But it's not, interestingly, about killing bots. It's about being killed by bots. Very, very different kill bot. So the robots on the board, when it starts, you're you're a human, sort of dead center, and there are a bunch of robot icons um, scattered around the board. Now you get an arrow icon, an arrow controller, and you can click in any direction, and your little character moves, let's say one square in that direction. The robots converge upon you based on where you move. Now they can only move one square at a time as well. Then again, there are like eight of them or six of them or something. So they do encroach upon you relatively quickly. And when one is right next to you, you cannot move uh, laterally, well, or laterally, away from them. You can move diagonally, usually. so, yeah, you can kind of move away, but if they're right next to you, if they're like sort of flanking you, then you cannot step away from them. and And that's when you're probably going to get caught. Luckily, you're a very clever human and you have a teleport button. And so there's a teleport button in the top menu bar that you are able to use to try to get away, well, to get away from the robots. The cool thing is, though, you can trick the robots. They're not very smart. And if you trick them to collide with one another, then they explode. So the idea is that you're you're trying to get away from these these robots in such a way that they can't capture you, that you're that you don't run into them and and that they sort of, uh, I say collide. and it's not exactly, well, yeah, I guess it is a collision. If they um, if they move onto a space that has a destroyed robot on it, or an exist, or two robots try to occupy the same space, then then they do collide. You like I say, you can w- when they get destroyed, their the their sort of trash piles stay on the um, board. So if anything runs into those trash piles, they 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 break. It's a fun. It's a really fun game, and it's one of those things that at first you think. Well, this will be easy. And then you see all those robots move <laughs> one step towards you. And you think, okay, there's no way I can do this. But then they start crashing into each other. And you think, okay, this, this could this could work. I could like, this could happen. Uh, and it, it, it takes, it's a puzzle. It's a real puzzler. I've never seen anything like it before. I don't know if it's some, you know, I don't know if this is like a classic game that everyone knows about or or what. But I, I found it very, very enjoyable. I was I was really, really surprised and it's just there's kind of a simplicity to it and 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 a, a real puzzle real puzzle to it. Re- a lot of fun. So if you haven't played killbots, try it out. It is worth it. It's a it's a good one. It's a surprisingly good one. Killbot. And then last but not least is K image Format. It is a plugin for cute GUI to help KDE. And I guess cute by extension load a variety of image formats. That's it. That's K image format. Not a whole lot to say about it. Cute um, is an amazing framework. What can I say? It really is. And the K the KDE frameworks just makes it that much better. Um, it's just such a rich ecosystem. It really makes you want to get into C++ programming just to experience cute. I mean, it's just that good. And, you know, we all should, really, if we want to. But I'm not going to do that right now. Right now, I'm going to end this episode and continue my coffee. Thanks very much for listening. I'll talk to you next time.